Hi, I'm Lauren Yoshiko. And I'm Menle Golakai Agri, and you're listening to Broccoli Talk, a podcast for cannabis lovers. So, exciting things this week. We saw the latest issue of Broccoli hit the mailbox, or I did at least. It's coming to everyone soon. (laughs) I know you're still waiting for yours, but it's so glorious. I love the 3D fantasy sort of like sixth dimension cover going on. It's so good. I saw it in person, but then I did not bring a copy back with me because I thought it was unfair to everyone else in Mexico who might not have theirs yet, but it's on the way. Oh, I like that. I like that solidarity, (laughs) the drama, the weight. Well, inside this issue, there's a very cool interview and sort of conversation with Jessamine Stanley, written by Eva Racinos. And today, we are going to be going deeper into that conversation a little bit. And I can't wait to hear your conversation with her. It's it's a really good one. It's It was a very fun um, opportunity just to talk to Jessamine. I think, you know, being a queer Black femme yoga instructor She's sort of this beacon of expression to, I don't know, those who maybe don't subscribe to this vision of like white wellness appropriation of yoga or whatever. Um, But speaking of subscriptions, I feel like I took so many of those 30 day unlimited classes, those yoga classes where I went to one and never went back. Like, (laughs) What's what's your experience with yoga? (laughs) Have you ever taken any of those? That's so funny. I probably would have been that kind of person, but I luckily, I mean, for me, it was actually a a substitute for weed when I first took yoga seriously because I studied abroad in Paris and I didn't know how to find weed or I was too scared to find weed at first. And, um... I kind of hated my classmates. Like, I loved the people I studied abroad with, but I, in particular, was in this weird other class with other American kids and some international people. But it was mainly a class of kids from Connecticut, and it was just not what I came to Paris for. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. And I, they drove me crazy. They were so rude, and they just were really weird to our teacher. And I would go home and just be like, oh, my God, I need, I really wish I had weed to unwind because I would – it was like road rage on the way home on the Paris Metro being like, oh, my God, so annoying. So I actually started doing yoga after class as just a stress manager for me to be less of a rude bee. And um, after doing it like religiously every day for a week, I remember just realizing how much better I felt like walking around. And by yeah. doing yoga, I meant like I followed this maybe 20 position handwritten sheet that my roommate slid me and I didn't know what anything was and I google searched like cow (laughs) cow pose Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. and just like put it together so I was doing I don't even think I was doing half the poses right but just making that time made such a difference for me like I I walked better I I like felt my back just being better posture regularly and so now I'm more interested in going to classes that like show me how to do it right but I still would rather just do it at home alone I think exactly I've you know it's I feel like I've put yoga in the friend zone these past couple years where we really had like a good relationship in the past 
Um, but just listening to you say like you sit, you sit better, you stand better, you like walk, just your body's just stacked in a very appropriate way to to for physics for you to breathe, for your body to fully function. And I feel like that that is really powerful. And it, it makes me yearn to kind of like come back to yoga because I think, again, we've we have a, a weird relationship at the moment. Here we go. Let's listen to it. I'm Jessamine Stanley. I am a yoga teacher. I'm a writer. I'm the author of Everybody Yoga, Let Go of Fear, Get on the Mat, Love Your Body. And I'm the founder of The Underbelly Yoga. Let's just dive in. I feel like you have become quite the yoga darling these past couple years, Um, but you've been doing it for a minute. I I really want you to sort of talk to me about how you came from taking your first hot yoga class with your auntie in 2013 to sort of becoming, you know, like someone who is answering complex yogi questions like in the New York Times. I went to my first yoga class with my aunt when I was 16 and um, I hated it so fully. Like it was this summer where my aunt was completely obsessed with Bikram yoga and she was just like forcing it down my throat in a lot of different ways. She was like, oh my God, you're going to love it. It's going to change your whole life. And, And it was just the most dreadful experience. Anytime that someone tells me that they've tried yoga and they absolutely hated it the first time I'm or they hated it and that's why they've never done it again, I'm like bitch, I feel you. Like, that's literally everything that I understood. And it wasn't until I was in graduate schools um, that I was, I was in a really different place in my life. I was just really sinking into a place of depression. And one of my friends was like, oh my God, you should try yoga. She was also doing Bikram yoga at that time. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I already done it once before. I knew I wasn't into it. And and I'm also kind of stubborn, like I think many of us are. But she got me caught up on a Groupon and I was like, what's the worst that could happen? And so I went and it totally changed everything for me. Like, I don't want to go out, go out on a limb and say that, like, I understood, like, oh, my God, I just found myself. And it was so amazing that I could stretch my body in these incredible ways. Like, it was not like that at all. None of the postures felt physically accessible to me. I was almost always, like, the fattest person in the room, frequently the only black person. It was a very alienating experience. But what I didn't recognize in my day-to-day life, I wasn't challenging myself or pushing myself outside of any boundaries the whole purpose of it truly is to push you past your boundaries so it's supposed to be uncomfortable it's supposed to be shifting your perspective and in those spaces of discomfort I started to understand that I need to be able to experience the ups and downs of life, that the good and the bad have to exist together. It gave me the confidence to leave graduate school, to move to Durham, where I live now. And when I moved to Durham, like I didn't have a job, I didn't have a plan, I didn't have the means to practice yoga in, in a yoga studio. Yoga studios are extremely expensive. And so I started practicing yoga at home The only reason that I started posting about my yoga practice on social media was just to be a part of a community outside of my house. I recognized pretty quickly that the response I was getting from people wasn't really people seeking yoga community. It was mostly people being like, wow, I didn't know fat people could do yoga. And I was just like, 
why do you think fat people can't do yoga? Fat people do all kinds of stuff all the time. So I realized that there was a necessity for visibility. So much of my teaching practice is just trying to reach everyone who's asked me to teach them. So that's why I started my yoga, my digital yoga studio, The Underbelly, so that anyone, regardless of time zone, regardless of location, you can practice with me. You can have the experience of practicing with someone who knows what it's like to feel different and to feel like you're not being accepted by society. It's less about like, look at this fat bitch doing yoga. And it's really just like, how can we all get to a space where no one has to feel as though the way that they're showing up in life is wrong? As a Black woman who's been legally slash illegally working in cannabis for like 15 years, I feel like, you know, when I talk to people, they oftentimes will bring up the obvious, like based on a defined appearance. It's hard to be recognized for like the complex, like multi-dimensional person that you are. I mean, do you find that the media kind of tends to latch on to certain things? Like what would you like to see more amplified? Because I feel like it's more broad than just yoga. It's more broad than just like who you are and who you look like, right? Oh my God, absolutely. People always want to just like dilute things down to just the the most minimal. And so that always starts and ends with how we physically present to others. So people see me and they're like, oh, fat girl doesn't hate herself, does yoga. And like, those are the only themes that come up. But like, I'm a fully rounded human being. And I've always thought that my yoga practice, the best yoga teachers I've ever had, the people who have taught me about compassion and staying in the moment are my romantic partners. And I felt that as a polyamorous amorous person that that has taught me more about the human experience and how we engage with one another than anything else and that it's such a huge part of my yoga practice similarly cannabis it's such a huge part of how I understand the universe and it's not like a small part of my identity it it makes up a huge part of my politics and how I understand the world it's important for each of us to kind of own those aspects of ourselves because I can't expect for anyone else to know me You know what I mean? Like if something is a part of you, then you have to let it shine. And then that inspires other people to do the same thing with themselves. So it's a way that we can give and receive from one another. Let's step back and let's get a little bit real about Herb, because I feel like this is a weed podcast. (laughs) And like you just said, like this is a huge this is a huge part of of you and who you are. And I think you spoke with Broccoli, the magazine a little bit earlier and, and quote said, you know, you smoke weed every day and having that handy is probably like the biggest unspoken part of your practice. And I feel like you know, as as far as I know, the possession of 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 weed in North Carolina is illegal. I think maybe there's like a <laughs> bill being passed for medical. <laughs> you know, like are people down? Do you do you have like a hard time finding good herb? Like oh God, what? Like how please. how does this work? Lord, let me testify at the altar. In North Carolina, it is not chill to be a weed smoker. Prohibition is high here. Like, obviously, there are ways to get herb. There's ways to even get variety in herb. Like, you can be a little bit picky, a little bit discerning. But the climate is not safe. And it is infuriating to go to states where it is legal and see people just chilling, no big deal. Like, this is not even considering the number of people who are locked up in the state of North Carolina for cannabis-related charges. 
is. If you think about what it is to need a medicine, I'm of the camp that all use is medicinal. I don't believe in recreational usage. I understand that that's how it has to be classified for um, the purposes of passing legislation. I think it's a medicine that is needed by all human beings and that if everyone knew their dosage, we would live in a completely different world. I think it should be an issue of great political importance in North Carolina. It's not, but it should be. What I need is for it to be chill to smoke here. Like going to Toronto pre-legalization, it's not legal there but it's chill. Like everyone knows what's good. Don't get into it with the cops, but it's chill. The energy with the people, I think is more important than uh, any kind of legislation because you, you see it in legal states that the stigma of use is still there. There's there's such a stigma of even people knowing that you do it as regularly as you do. And I think that that's what we really, in North Carolina specifically, because we still have the uh, wherewithal and the freedom to move around politically, I think that's where the energy needs to be focused. There is a shift toward legalization happening in the state, and it's really related to hemp. Every Hemp and CBD. I swear to God, there's so many hemp and CBD stores in North Carolina right now. And frankly, I have been, I've been saying just economically for the state, it's all that makes sense because we are a state that was ravaged by the tobacco industry losing steam. And as a result, there is so much farmland in North Carolina and there are so many people who have resorted to like chicken farming or pig farming and these things that are so destructive to the earth whereas we could be having like so many cannabis farms or hemp farms whatever whatever you're trying to do but we're not even really there yet because they there's a ban set to go into effect next year where smokable hemp is going to be illegal so we're way behind the times here yeah right exactly and this is the thing (laughs) if you live in the state and you give a shit then you know but because of the stigma, people don't even want to give a shit. It couldn't be more important for people who have a platform. Tell a bitch that you smoke weed. Like that has got to be issue number one for not just North Carolina, but any state where it's not legal. Because that's how they made change in every state where it's legal. Need a CBD-only pen? The Quill is a vaporizer pen for everyone, everywhere. No additives, no dilutants, no fillers, no flavors, and no weird buttons or complicated settings to mess with. The Quill is ready to deliver a sippable microdose wherever you are, whether that's on a relaxing hike or getting cozy at home before bed. Quill CBD now brings pure, full-spectrum hemp extract to wherever you are. The hemp is grown organically in Oregon and processed just a few hundred feet away from the fields. To get your own, visit quillcbd.com for free shipping throughout the U.S. On Instagram, follow at quill.me and pass the quill. When we talk about the stigma, like what is the stigma with cannabis in yoga spaces? Because I feel like it exists. And I know you've mentioned before about like yoga elitists sort of having like prejudices against herb in general and feeling like it's dangerous and it's bad and and 
you know, how have you combated that or or what do you feel about that? There are a couple of different issues here. The first is that there are a lot of people who let's just let's call them for the sake of this conversation purists. Purists are like cannabis interrupts the experience of practicing yoga. It fogs your mind so you're not having a full experience with just yourself. Now, what I would argue to counter that purist argument is that cannabis comes out of the earth. We come out of the earth. It is meant to cleanse us from so much of the dust. I think of it as cobwebs that make it difficult for us to see ourselves, to get inside. So for some of us, it's fucking necessary to use cannabis with yoga so that you can actually even have the experience. Hoes being yoga class panicked about not wearing the right leggings. They can't even be present. So whatever it takes to be able to just like get in the moment. But that comes from a lack of understanding about the plant. Now, having said that, anyone else who is like, I don't want cannabis in my yoga space. I would just then point to the fact that the modern yoga world is racist as fuck. It is deeply white supremacist. And that to me comes from the virtues of white supremacy, that there are certain things that are appropriate to be doing in certain spaces and that it's not, it's just not like socially acceptable. That to me is where that comes from. And I walk around everywhere smelling like weed. So I don't know if I'm the right person to ask about being concerned about <laughs> smell like it. You're loud (laughs) i'm perpetually loud it's my t-shirt that i wear to the world weed and yoga are obvious to some people who want to again like consume and who are down for that but i do want to step back again you know within that same vein of cbd is good and thc is bad and it seems like uh, an echo of the wellness world and like you're saying this this white supremacy that that exists in that too. It's sort of implemented in, you know, people can still go to jail for THC. People can still, you know, have the stigma of smelling smelling loud like herb. And if it's CBD oil, right? If it's CBD, if it's for your skin to like keep your skin tight <laughs> right. and to, you know, whatever, keep your butt tight right. or something, right? It's it's good. And and I think Maybe that goes along with certain things that you see happening in this wellness world. Like, what are your pet peeves? What do you kind of want to, like, stomp out and and really, like, put an end to? Literally everything you just said. I tell you, if I hear another CBD plus, they're killing me with this shit. And this is not to say, like, I fuck with CBD. There are a few solves that I definitely enjoy. You know, I got a couple vapes that are very pleasant. But... (laughs) My friends and I, we call we call CBD diet weed. It's just like, what are we even? What are you even saying, dude? Like, what? So you're, I can't with that shit. And it's totally the gentrification of weed. It's pumpkin spice weed. I cannot with it, dude. And I mean, okay, I'm a level with you. I understand that people want to be well. They, they don't want to worry about psychoactive effects during the day. I've got it. But legalization is a structure of white supremacy anyway. The normalization of CBD as the appropriate way to consume cannabis is just like beyond offensive to me. I understand the hypocrisy as I use my CBD muscle salve before bed. Like, I get it. I think the more that we try to draw distinctions between the different benefits of this plant 
the further we get from what the plant can offer our society as a whole. You know, I work for a CBD company, but at the same time, we're always like battling that, you know, like, do we want to be a part of this? And if we are, how do we set ourselves apart? And how do we really like advocate, you know, for the voices and for the bodies that that don't subscribe to, you know, to the status quo and what, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, this isn't about me. <laughs> um, what I what I want to know. <laughs> so I stalked your Spotify. I don't know if people do that. <laughs> I'm like, that I'm shifting. Voice. So I'm shifting very hard. Um, I stalked your Spotify and I noticed a couple albums. One, Jewel Pieces of You. Um, Faith Hill, I remember. What? And Destiny's Child Survivor. (laughs) Faith Hill? Which I think, I think, (laughs) yes. I think Destiny Child Survivor is like 20 years old or something like that. It just hit its 20th anniversary. So I don't know. I immediately felt like there's some like Gemini placements in your chart. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not an astrologist, (laughs) but like, how do you, how does music play a role in, in your classes? Like, do you have a method or a formula just in terms of like it being a very synergistic experience, right? You got your herb, you got your music, you've got you, like, how does that, how does that work into your incorporation of like your practice music is really everything to me I mean I think that I think all music is spiritual I think that it is all just expressing something from someone's experience of from someone's human experience and that feels so powerful to me when I'm practicing and the music that I listen to that I that I play over and over again is really just music so I'm a double cancer there is Gemini uh in the chart but the big placements are cancer and I'm always like in my feeling I'm deeply nostalgic all the time and like enjoy reflecting on memories and so I tend to listen to music that reminds me of very specific times in my life I'm uh, no shade on Faith Hill but I'm just like kind of mad that my girlfriend clearly had me out here listening to Faith Hill at one point and that that showed up on my Spotify as representative of the music that I listen to regularly not because not no shade on her just that I feel like that is not <laughs> representative but Jewel Pieces of You really is that was the first album that I ever purchased it was the first full-length album that I ever purchased when I tell you I knew all the words and that I did not know what any of them meant like I didn't understand any of the context of the lyrics at all but I just like memorized it I love the way that it felt and every time that I I always go back to it every few years and I'm in a I'm in a spell of I'm in a deep nostalgic well right now but every time that I come back to it I understand the lyrics so much more based on where I am in my life and so that album right now for me does feel particularly poignant I would also add to the the list same reasons um Fiona Apple's title album was huge for me I had to buy that cd two days different times because I scratched it up so bad the first time but that's because I don't take care of my shit anyway (laughs) I love nostalgia I think I think it's really it is emotive and I get I get why that why that means a lot I just loved looking at that I was like oh my goodness wait what what's Um, on yours like what do you are you a yoga person I don't (laughs) do you listen to music while practicing you know what's funny? It's it's and it's not because I'm trying to be Oprah here, but this kind of goes perfectly with the question I was going to ask. I've I've had a relationship off and on with yoga for about like 20 years and 
you know, it was mostly off, not always on. But I, you know, I was I was looking at your Tumblr account, like I think a lot of us do when we're trying to like research you. And I think it's really interesting, first of all, that you point to that page like on your on your website. But I can't help but feel like that nostalgic look on your face and like on your page, especially, you know, you've got this like this sweet angel baby face in like all of your poses. And there's such a gentle wash over you. And it feels very contagious. And I like I want to know who who was that person back then? Like how you know what I mean? Like connecting to Jewel and connecting to to Fiona, like, and connecting to maybe not Faith Hill, but like <laughs> Destiny's Child Survivor. Like, I just, I do want to know how, like, how, I don't know how yoga has been then and now, like, a way of sort of washing over you and, and healing and sort of, I don't know, all the things. When I first started practicing, I had a very, very superficial understanding of yoga. It was it was an understanding that I think most people have of it, which is that, you know, the postures are pretty and that if you do a pretty posture, then that will mean that you're a good person and that you're doing it right. And that the harder you practice, the that means the better you are. The more poses you know perfectly, the more you know about yoga and that one day you're going to ascend the ladder of yoga perfection and like be crowned samadhi and like have the the end result of like yeah I'm zen now so you know I mean I'm pretty great that's how I felt about it back then and I think that my the way that I photograph my practice really reflects that you know lots of filters very clean back very romantic very like I want to catch the moment of my practice where I felt the most quote perfect or I felt the most quote good now the way that I um the way that I capture my practice is much more um real I don't post much of it now because it feels very personal to me and um and it feels like something that's not really suitable for other people but I'm less inclined to go toward a still image because it's, because a still image doesn't really tell you anything so much of the practice is in the movement and in it's in the trembling it's in the falling and and things that I would have never wanted anyone to see like I only ever posted photos of the yoga poses that I felt like were good enough you know what I mean I hear this a lot from people who they'll be like yeah I want to post my poses but they're just not good enough and then also as a fat practitioner posting in a way where a lot of people can see it you're under a kind of criticism that people want to think that you're promoting the most unsafe lifestyle in the world and so I think I felt a lot of pressure in that way to be like showing only what I deem to be some version of perfection. I think that as my practice has deepened that I've come to a deeper understanding of my own internalized self-hatred and the way that I present to others and that that has reflected in the way that um, my practice looks to other people. What does it feel like to sort of be this, the face of body positivity? Like, how do you take ownership of that and, and sort of advocate with without being pigeonholed and, and with sort of staying true against? I mean, maybe you've answered this before, but I am really curious about that. I 
don't really identify with body positivity that much, if I'm being completely honest. So that probably relieves me of some internalized pigeonholing because like I advocate for body positivity through the fact that it is clearly body positivity that allows me to show up in the world in the way that I do. But that's it. Like, I don't feel like I'm standing on the pulpit of body positivity. Like I could give a shit. It's so sad to me how this movement has been diluted and diluted and diluted and now it's basically just I don't even understand what what I don't even understand the the mainstream narrative it's so easy to co-opt and turn it into something else so I think that true advocacy goes beyond like especially if you're just advocating for overall compassion that it kind of goes deeper than any particular title and I do think that in some ways um in terms of like the way that people write about me that I am pigeonholed because I think that people see they're like that's the body positive yoga girl and I'm just like that's fine honestly because I just don't really feel that attached to what (laughs) other people are saying about me because I know who I am I'm really honored and super, super into this very frank and and very refreshing conversation. Um, it's been it's been beautiful, and I appreciate your time. But also, like, what what should people be looking out for? How can how can we find you on the internet? I mean, it's pretty easy, but I want to hear your personal shout out. The big thing that you can look out for is the Underbelly app and website being launched internationally. You'll be able to get it anywhere in the world across so many new platforms. Right now, we're already on Android and iOS, but we'll be on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, and all of this is going down this winter. You can find all this information, including my upcoming book and upcoming podcast that will be out either at the end of this year or the start of next year. All of this can be found on jessaminstanley.com. And if you want to find the underbelly specifically you can go to the underbelly.com and if you want to follow me on social media i'm at my name is jessamine or the underbelly yoga beautiful thank you so much for your time and i guess because i'm corny as like a last sort of ending bit like what just what kind of advice or what sort of dare i say mantra would you want to give like the listener the the yoga practitioner the weed smoker The last thing that I would say is that you are necessary. Every part of you is necessary. Everything that you want to hide is necessary. Every part of you is a gift to those around you. That's so beautiful. Thank you. I so appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for having me. This episode was produced by Anya Charbonneau. Our music is by Giselle Garcia. And our logo design is by Jennifer Wright. Visit Broccoli online at broccolimag.com and on our Instagram at broccoli underscore mag. Thank you so much for listening to the show.